I... What we do here is go back, 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 back. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first ever Two and a Half Marks podcast. This is a podcast by three friends who love wrestling, who in the middle of Corona times, we got bored and we decided, hey, let's watch a bunch of random shows and talk about them because we love wrestling. We love talking about wrestling. I'm David Statman. I am joined by my good friends, Jake Long and Angelo Inglisa. And we are here to talk about the first show that hit on our randomizer on WWE Network, King of the Ring 2000. How is it going, guys? And, you know, what do you, what do you think about the podcast? Be excited? I mean, I'm very, pumped. Oh, yeah, I'm very excited. It's very obvious who the half mark here, and that's Jake. <laughs> <laughs> and also two and a half marks, which is just half a man shy of the amount of people Baron Corbin has tried to kill over the past two months. Ooh, joke, buddy. Oh my god. It's what I'm here for. But yeah, Jake, Jake, what about you, man? I'm excited, man. I was like whenever I heard King of the Ring two thousand, I knew that it was the uh the angle King of the Ring, but I didn't really have any good memories of like how Angle won. And then once I watched the pay per view, I was like, Oh, that's who we beat. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very weird, just kind of assortment of guys that you then just like remember. Like that's what I'm saying. Like we watch. had a, yeah, like we had a Rikishi versus Val Venus match. Good yeah. lord, that was just. And we're gonna and like, we're gonna go we're gonna go into that just like the weird place and like both of those guys' careers. Like just yeah, Val yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is this is what the podcast is going to be. You know, we are we we just we're three guys that love wrestling. We love talking about wrestling. And we just decided, hey, let's let's watch a random show, talk about it. We're gonna watch a bunch of random shows and you know, we're we're just we we enjoy talking about it and you know, we figured if anyone else wants to to listen in and follow along, then we are we're glad to have you guys along for the ride. And uh, we I think it's also good because we all have like three different levels of wrestling knowledge. Uh, David being obviously the most well informed as what he has the host designation. Um, Jake, who has been going back and watching a lot of uh, pay per views recently, I've still kind of da- I've gotten back into wrestling over the past few years. I've been starting to watch a little bit more things. So going back and watching something from 2000, which is before I ever watched anything regarding wrestling. Um, it was really fun, and man, do some things not age well? Yeah, I mean, just, just a little more context on that. I mean, yeah, I, I was I was kind of the one of the the group of us that was always a fan of wrestling, dating back to when I was eleven years old, and I've always been obsessed with it for the last like fifteen years. And I just watch wrestling all the time. And I actually a few months ago started training as a wrestler, so I'm trying to you know learn a little bit more about it in that aspect as well. Jake, I know you were also a fan for a long time, and then. You kind of got back into it through our friendship a little bit, and mm-hmm. then you basically went back and obsessively watched everything that's ever happened. And Angelo <laughs> is another friend of ours who only re- like watched it. He watched it when you were a kid for a while, a kid and then stopped watching yeah. like throughout end of middle school and high school, and probably and, about junior year when we like yo, you want to come over and watch WrestleMania? I'm like, yeah, I want to watch WrestleMania, and that was the one the Hardys came back. Yeah, you're a big Hardy. Oh, so yeah, it's like, yeah. yep, this is gonna be a thing now. And so now, you know, you're kind of back into it a little bit, but you, you know, you're not as, you know, full, full balls into it maybe as we are. 
No, but you're getting there. I was looking through the uh, King of the Ring tournament, like the bracket and how it broke down. Um, there's a lot of guys I recognize the names of, whether it's they have kids in the game right now or like they are local legends or like mid the mid card legends. Um, and then there was a lot of names I had no idea, including a couple of the ones that were actually on the King of the Ring card. Yeah, well, we'll get into that. I mean, we can. Oh man, I'm excited for that. I'm excited yeah. to hear those names. Yeah, Midas, we love remembering guys. That's the number one thing about this podcast. We just love remembering some guys. That's what this is all about. I love yes, to remember guys, and I hope you also love to just remember some guys. So let's go back and let's remember some dang guys, all right? June 25th, 2000, 17,651 people in the Fleet Center at Boston, Massachusetts for the King of the Ring pay-per-view which back at the time was still actually a regular pay-per-view that the WWF had. They started it in 1993, and they had it regularly every summer until 2002, where they stopped doing it, and then they kind of had a regularly brought it back every now and then, just as, you know, holding it across multiple like episodes of Raw and SmackDown. And we have on the card, highlighted by the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals So eight people qualifying to be on the tournament out of 32 total in the tournament. It was the biggest King of the Ring tournament ever alongside our main event, a six-man tag team match for the WWF Championship. Really convoluted rules, kind of the sort of match that they had all the time back in like 2000 during the Attitude Era. The Rock, Kane, and The Undertaker against Mr. McMahon, Shane McMahon, and Triple H. Triple H being the champion and... Whoever got the pin, whether it was on The Rock, Kane, or The Undertaker, whoever got the pin or the submission would be the champion. It didn't have to be on Triple H, who was the champion at the time. Again, a lot, a lot of kind of convoluted matches on this card, but they started it out with the quarterfinals. Rikishi and Chris Benoit was the first match out of the four quarterfinal matches. And talk about a clash of styles, baby. You got a big boy in Rikishi, and then you've got just, you know, the, the, the technical savagery of the Rabbit Wolverine, Chris Benoit. There was a. So that was. Go ahead. Uh, the crowd was hot for that match, too. Like, the very first pop that Rikishi got on the way out, like, the crowd was so ready for this King of the Ring tournament. I think that's kind of what helped sell it. Um, Benoit got a decent pop, too, as the heel in the t- uh, match. This one deserved more time, though. This was a really kind of fun little match here. Yeah, and, I, and whenever I saw the two guys coming out, and when I realized it was Benoit versus Rikishi, my first thought was, how is this guy who, who would, like, historically wrestles, like, this really strong shoot style going to wrestle with somebody who's, like, two and a half times his size? Yeah. That was, you know, um, and I agree with Angel, like, needing more time, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you talk about, like, I mean, it's just kind of the energy of the crowd. Like, I, like the first thing you notice when you watch these old shows is, like, it's kind of a smaller thing, but, like, when they pan out and show the crowd, you have the sea of signs in the crowd. And you don't really see that anymore. Like, that was kind of a cool tradition that was just part of, like, WWF and, like, WCW back then. Really up through, like, a few years ago. Like, you still see people bring signs. But, like, back then, it was like they would pan out and there's, like, thousands of signs. Well, it's and it's just, like... It's modern now. Like, you can't... Like, they will check your sign before you come and, like, bring it in because they don't want that stuff to come out, go on TV. But I also think it's, no. like, the crowds are just generally sort of less rowdy and, like, less invested in, like, kind of random guys... And 
And I mean, they're it, like, you know, the crowds are a little bit smaller now too than they were about. It's not like, you know, attendance is like that much smaller, but like, you know, the crowds are a bit smaller and I think they're a little less, I mean, like 2000, we're talking about like the hottest period ever for WWF. Mm-hmm. So like, stuff was crazy back then. Um, so, yeah. One of the things that I have noted here was, was that it wasn't, it wasn't a much of a match, but it was a good segment. Um, one of the coolest things, I had never really seen this before, was that Benoit got him in a standing crippler crossface at one point in the match, which I thought was super yeah. cool because, like, like, you're kind of seeing that, like, you know, this is a, a, a big, strong boy versus, like, a big, beefy boy. <laughs> and to get him in, like, that, that standing crippler, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this match, yeah, you, you talk about it was a short match. That's always kind of, like, been the the mo for for wwe when they've done these like one night tournaments is like the first couple rounds even if they're really good looking matchups they're never going to go over 10 minutes and then if it's a match like this where it's not going to be like uh, probably a real killer you're going to get like four minutes and this match went about like three and a half minutes um rikishi was coming in as the intercontinental champion he had just beaten benoit for the title on smackdown the thursday night before it's got a little bit of little bit of stuff going on there, and they have you know a match for three and a half minutes, and then afterwards, Benoit slides out of the ring. He grabs a chair, he slides back in, and then just blasts him in the face, and then disqualification, and it's over. And that was just one of the things in the show. I was like, why? Like, okay, you know, Benoit's a heel. You know, he's doing whatever, but. Why even sign up for the King of the Ring in the first place? Like you, can let, like, you can let him wrestle somebody else and then just show up and hit him with a chair. You don't have to go through this whole, whole, like, whole set, like, saga of, like, it was a 32-man tournament. So, like, he had to beat two people to get there and then decide, eh, screw this. I'm just going to hit him in the face with a chair. I'm gone. I don't care about this anymore. But here's the problem with that, though. The two guys he faced and won uh, to get to the King of the Ring, he faced Road Dog in the first round. And then he faced X-Pac in the next, and they already had a match scheduled for this pay-per-view. So both those guys are not. The only other guy in his like little niche that could have been the guy to take his place would have been Dean Malenko. Uh, Bale- <laughs> Dean Malenko? Oh, Dean Malenko. I love Dean Malenko. <laughs> Again, a guy that I... That can work, bro. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. We got we to gotta get you caught up on Dean Malenko from like <laughs> WCW, I don't know, like, nine, what do you think, like 96? Yeah, dude. And Dean Malenko was basically on the way out by that point anyway. Like, he, he went to WWF with the rest of those guys, with Benoit and, and uh, like Perry Saturn and Eddie. But he was, like, he retired, like, pretty quick. Like, he didn't wrestle very long. So he was kind of already on the way out by the time, by the time that happened. I mean, we, and you, you mentioned Road Dog and X-Pac. We see them later on in the show. But awesome. Rikishi... The cool thing, so like the weird thing about this one is, so Benoit loses in like the first match of King of the Ring, and then I think the very next pay per view he's like now like, competing yeah. for the world title. Yeah, like just kind of just kind of rocketing him up, even though he didn't win the match or the King of the Ring. Yeah, but people love Benoit, man. They loved him back then. He was great. Yes. I wonder what happened to that. I wonder what changed. Nothing I can think of. Nah, man. Nothing. None. But so Rikishi moves on to the semifinals. Next matchup, I thought this was one of the better matches on the show. Eddie Guerrero and Val Venus. And so this is like, you got heel Val Venus. This is kind of like a weird, like, forgotten period of Val Venus's career 
where it's like post he's not the porn star gimmick anymore he's a heel <laughs> but he's not with right to censor yet so he's just like kind of an angry dude who used to have sex a lot but now he doesn't <laughs> You see, I did not like Val throughout this entire pay-per-view. I just... Yeah. I, I, like, his match, like, Eddie kind of made that match for me. I was... Again, I have not someone that watched a lot of Eddie Guerrero um, growing up or now. But going back and watching that match, like, I could see, like, how... He had the Latino heat. He was just on fire. Every He couldn't do anything wrong. He dragged Venus to, I think, a good match there. Um, and I do Venus! Go ahead. No. Uh, like, I mean, Venus. <laughs> uh, my thing with Eddie, though, like the one thing I kind of noticed, I'm like, I see, like, watching some modern guys now, like Angel Garza is the guy that I, I see a very strong comp between him and Eddie Guerrero. Like, there's, a, they have a lot of similarities in like how they posture, or, like how they carry themselves. I think that's a very, like Garza, if he's not already, obviously, that's a very good comparison. I think. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree, and I think a lot of those guys have kind of patterned themselves off of Eddie. And this is this is younger Eddie too. I mean, this is when he came back to WWF back for that like run in like 2002 up through when he died. He ended up he bulked up a lot, and he wasn't the same. You know, he wasn't quite the same level of agility as he was when he was young. He was in 2000. I mean, he he had a lot of injuries and he had some personal problems, but the guy was a great worker. And Val, Val was a little bit, Val was always considered to be a really good worker, but he had had a really bad neck injury and had just come back, I think like a couple months before. So he wasn't really quite the same guy, but they still, I think, have a pretty good match here. And it's, it's interesting because this is like the first match where you really notice. And, and the three of us, we kind of talked about it a little bit before we started recording, just the kind of, um, the sort of the casual sexism of the audience, you really start to notice it here. That was like really kind of specific to this point. You have Eddie come out with China, his mama Sita. And then Val loved. Loved. Absolutely loved. And then Val comes out with Trish Stratus. And it was like the second the crowd saw Trish Stratus, they went insane. <laughs> you, you also have Jerry Lawler making very oh my God. comments throughout this. And it's just Man, is it cringy to listen to? Um, Former, like old, old Jerry Lawler is like, is, yeah, is, I think you got it right. Is very cringy and like very problematic. Yeah, especially in like in like a modern sense. Man, I'm sure. Like, I mean, I was I was five years old when this happened. But like, <laughs> I'm sure. Like, if you, like if you were like a wrestling fan back then, like just watching it at the time, like Jerry Lawler is like super beloved and like. Like from people that time because everyone thought he was hilarious. But then you watch, like, you listen to this twenty years later, and you're like cringing the whole time. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> it's crazy, man. But he's reflecting the audience. I mean, I yeah, I, absolutely, I, I, absolutely. I was I was taking notes. That, like, you know, at one point there's a guy. I guess he was next to a camera or something. You can loudly just hear a dude yell, "I want to see some TNA." Yep. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't which, hear that. I mean, <laughs> Which I guess, like maybe he was talking about the tag team of Test and Albert, but he had to wait a little bit longer. They were later on. <laughs> hey, maybe just a bit really big TNA mark. Who knows? Yeah, I was like, Je- I mean, like maybe Jeff Jarrett heard that and was like, maybe in a couple years, like <laughs> we'll get something going. But there's, there's, there's like really, there's really loud. We want puppies chants at one point during the match. 
In the third row, there's a guy with a shirt off who just has suck it painted on his chest. And it's just like, it's like, it's all kind of, ref- all the audience is kind of just like reflected back in Jerry Lawler and the commentary. And it's just all like kind of swirling around. And that's just, you know, you, know who I think, you know who I think all of that reflects? Vince McMahon. Yes. Because he, he, and like, you know, some would argue like he was trying to like give the audience what they wanted. But like, let's not make any mistake about it that Vince also wanted those things. Yeah. Like, like he was also championing the like, uh, what was the the lingerie match from around this time and stuff like yeah. that? Like he was definitely championing championing that stuff too. Not to mention, like later on in the show, he says he's gonna put Linda in her place, back to her place. I mean, just kind of insinuating that she has no right to be there. Which, yeah, right. man, those things don't. It's just so weird to like think that's only twenty years ago. Yeah, and I mean, Vince, Vince is always like we all. I mean, you know, you watch WWE like. Vince has, and he's always had kind of a sophomoric sense of humor. Absolutely. But it was just like at this specific period, it really just kind of lined up with like just their audience and just kind of what they wanted. And mm-hmm. they went crazy for it. They loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one, so, last, one last thing before we move on. I, or, I think it's two things. Number one, I, I know this gets talked about, but I just want to know that Eddie as a cell is just phenomenal. He, the way he takes bumps just makes everything look so realistic. And I think, this might be a bold statement, I don't know. I think if he's still around today, I think you would be able to compare him to what Jericho is doing now. I, I think he would have been able, I think he would have been able to like evolve and just change with the time and eventually just become like this character who borderline like transcends the ring. You know, and I don't think anybody would call Jericho a fantastic worker right now, but he's still you know, selling tickets. Yeah, uh, I, I think Eddie, if he's, he's just like Jericho is. And it's not like the frogs, but like uh, his frog splash. It's not like it is a high risk move, but it's not something that would be hard on people to do. I mean, especially now he would be what, like in his fifties, close to. Yeah, I mean, him and Jericho were like him and Jericho. I mean, they were complete like of the same generation. Like came right, exactly. I'm like, and we're super close friends. I completely agree with you on that. I mean, because the guy had the kind of charisma that just stood out. Whenever he was on, like, the, the charisma just was always just brimming whenever he was on the TV. Absolutely. The TV. Um, and even... The one thing I really wish I could see, like, I'm excited for this, too, because I want to see more of Eddie. He was one of the guys on the show. I'm like, mm. I, I would love oh. to see more matches with him. Eddie yeah. Brock. Oh, oh, man. That no is... Way, no way uh, out of 2004. Yeah, baby. I thought it was... A, yeah. Oh, that my gosh. A, yes. Classic. Absolute classic. That is a match, dude. But so this is a pretty good match. Um, Eddie hits a really cool like pop up Frankensteiner at one point in this match, um, and then Val hits about eight minutes in. Val hits him with a fisherman suplex, uh, fisherman suplex pins him, and Val moves on to the semifinals of the King of the Ring. So we got a couple like uh, segments coming on after this. We got you know the introduction to the Vince. Uh, the, the McMahon Helmsley, you know, uh, just the drama going on. Linda's showing up. Vince is going to put her in his, in, in her place. Michael Cole, You've got Michael Cole wearing denim. Um, <laughs> and the, really the most distracting one, um, Rikishi being interviewed by Jonathan Coachman, who has hair. <laughs> also wearing denim, too. He's also wearing denim, because it was 2000. Him and Michael Next, Cole matching. Yes, they're blood brothers. <laughs> Next match up, 
um, is a great one. Crash Holly. These are this is a couple <laughs> guys. Like, we're talking about remembering guys. Two guys. These are two guys right here. Crash Holly, who at the time was doing one of my favorite gimmicks of all time, uh, carrying the giant scale with him out to the ring. And to being a psychopath. I freaking love claim, Crash Holly. <laughs> the claim, be, claim as being a super heavyweight, weighing allegedly in excess of 400 pounds when he's like a little tiny 5'8", dude. He's Angelo size. Facing Old Buchanan, who is a large guy. And that's his whole thing. He's just kind of big. Yeah. Yeah. I really loved Crash throughout this pay-per-view, too. Like, he's one of the guy, like, another guy. I just loved, I loved the gimmick with carrying the scale out with a backwards hat. It just, yeah. it just looks so coolsy, but it works for him. He, he rocks it. Um, uh, and this was, it was yeah. a fun little match, even if it, it was a lot of uh, bull, mostly squashing him. Just destroying him. Yeah. Yeah, but Crash oh, was it. so much fun. I, I, he was a very fun character to watch throughout King of the Ring. Yeah. R.I.P. Crash Holly. I love Crash Holly. Big Crash Holly guy. Wait, but yeah, this is, yeah, he died in like 2003. Wow. Nope. Yeah. So, yeah, as, as you mentioned, this match is literally just all Bull, who is literally twice his size, just kind of beating <laughs> him up the whole time and just doing power moves on him. And then at one point, uh, Bull misses a scissor kick on him and then Crash cradles him and then he pins him and then he just sprints away and leaves. <laughs> that so, scissor kick, though, that looked like if it had hit, hit like, it would have popped his head off of his shoulders. I had because, like, it looked so. It was a large guy, like moving his legs very quickly. Like I was, I was prepared, and then it didn't happen. Yeah, Bull, Bull I mean, a lot like the Undertaker. Bull was a guy who was just super big and kind of never had another thing. Really, <laughs> I mean, I think he was in right to censor at one point. Yeah, and I think he's maybe best remembered as like he was John Cena's bodyguard when Cena was starting the rapper gimmick. <laughs> Yep, and so that's kind of just Bull Buchanan. He was a large guy. He had this kind of wispy mohawk that looked terrible, <laughs> and he lost, <laughs> and then no one ever thought about him ever again. But you know, this yeah, another another quick match, and then we have one of the better matches on the show. This is not a show that was like it's two thousand WWF. Like they like yeah. you didn't really go to this promotion at this time for like you're going to see classics. But we have Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho, two all-time greats in the Hold on, you're forgetting, you're forgetting there were actually three legends in that ring. Did you all <laughs> notice who the third legend was? Teddy Long, baby. Because that was, that was my man Teddy Long officiating that match. Do yes. not leave him out whenever you talk about this match. It was Jericho and Angle officiated by Teddy Long. Yeah, people forget that Teddy Long was just like an anonymous referee for a really long time. The guy was just referee. <laughs> and then now he's the guy that we all love to remember, the SmackDown commissioner. But yeah, like that that was like the first like I noticed Teddy Long. And I knew that he was a referee, but I noticed him and then I I, I felt like compelled to go back and watch the other matches to see if Teddy Long was <laughs> like if I just if I just somehow didn't notice that Teddy Long was there. But yeah, Teddy Long officiates this match. Against between Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho, the last quarterfinal match of the King of the Ring tournament, uh, Jericho had beaten Test and Edge on the way to get to the quarterfinals and get on the pay per view. First thing about this match that I noticed, it's just I know it's a thing that happened like I think a couple years later. It's still weird to hear Kurt's theme without people chanting, you suck. Yes. Yep, absolutely. Clean, you suck. 
You have Kurt comes out. He cuts a classic kind of heel promo or he's making fun of the Boston teams because it's 2000. And back then you could cut a promo on how Boston teams always lose and it actually applies. <laughs> and he does the worst Boston accent of all time. And it's just pressure. I'm going to go have a beer. <laughs> the new Jericho and they call it heel heat. Yeah. Kurt, Jericho <laughs> comes out and calls him Kirk Angel, which is one of my favorite things of all time. <laughs> They kind of just cut promos on each other, and then they get into the match, and it's it's pretty good. You know, you've got mm-hmm. Kurt. Mm-hmm. Kurt got so good at wrestling so fast. Like, he had yeah. only really been wrestling for, like, a couple years. And at this point, like, he is starting to round into form. He's beginning the balding process right now. And he's got the best suplexes. He's just an awesome athlete. He's so cool. Like... Kurt Angle is the best. He's the reverse Samson, like, from the Bible, like, the guy who, like, got his power from his hair. Like, Kurt Angle lost his hair and just ascended to a higher plane of wrestling. And then he just, it it just, it was a long-term metamorphosis that ended up with, like, TNA Kurt Angle, who is completely hairless, he is on perks, and he is doing insane stuff. He is doing moonsaults off cages. He is killing himself. And he's he awesome. TNA for uh, a solid couple of years. Decade. A decade. People forget yeah. that he was in TNA for like almost twice the length of time he was on the WWE. Absolutely, now. yeah. Yeah, no, but nobody will associate him with that. And he was killing it. I remember watching him. Like uh, my dad would watch TNA a few times. We didn't watch as religiously as we'd like watch Friday Night SmackDown. SmackDown was our show. Um, But I remember seeing Kurt on there a few times. Like he was uh, always like feuding with Sting. Um, (laughs) It was heel angle, and he was doing a great job of being a heel. Um, The one thing with this match, though, um, it's so smooth. You're right, David. Like Kurt Mm -hmm. is just like he's a machine. Uh, the one spot besides the lion salt that Jericho hit was the uh, Jericho jumping up to the top rope and then doing a springboard drop kick while Angle was on the apron. I just thought that looked yeah very well done, very smooth. Um, and it was just like, man, that was yeah. again another match that probably could have gone a little bit longer. But I mean, we did get ten minutes. It's the longest match out of the King of the Ring tournament. Um, so yeah, I can't really complain too much there. Yeah, especially because I, I mean, in this tournaments they always run through them quick. Mm-hmm. They always yeah. have. I, one of the things that I wrote, and we we had, we were talking about this right before the show, and it ties back to what David was saying about like the atmosphere. Like they, at one point, um, Stephanie McMahon interferes in the match, McMahon. and uh, sorry, <laughs> Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, and Jericho just like kisses her, like like violently kisses her. If that's a way to describe it, and like the crowd was losing their mind about it, but like not. You know, not in a, like, well, he needs to stop that way, just in a going crazy kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I wonder, like, how an angle like that would play nowadays. Like, I, I just, I think that that would just be completely, I like, I, I think that would sink whoever did it. Oh, but back yeah. then, it was like, back then it was just a heat tool. Like, you do this, you'll get heat. The one yeah, you'll get like, yeah, and if it's like Jericho, who's a face, who everyone likes... On, on Stephanie, everyone's like, who, Stephanie, oh. who everyone's always hated, everyone's like, it's the coolest thing ever. Look at this guy. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's, I, I just, I, I don't know. I guess I can't wrap my brain around, like, back then, that was not the same as it is now. I, I, I just, it's, it's weird. 
it is. Um, but like how they're uh, like the one example is like how they're using Nia Jax on occasion nowadays. Like they, she had that spot on the Rumble with Randy Orton. Oh yeah, yeah. Mysterio. Uh, actually, she had that spot with Mysterio in Money in the Bank, which happened this past Sunday, where he's she's just oh, yeah. him out. I mean, the way they're doing it. I mean, they have the right. I think they have the right guys doing it. The people that are established, like. I think they it it's hard to say they're doing that well, but when it comes to someone like Naya, she is obviously like somewhere on that level. Whereas with like other like uh, McMahon Helmsley, like she is not on Naya's level. I would say as a can take a bump from so and so or whatever. Yeah, but it's it's completely different back then because like mm-hmm. if you go back and I I know Angela, you probably haven't watched a lot of it, but like I know Jake, you have. The one thing back in like the Attitude Era that always was like most were like always got a big pop was like it's weird saying about like violence against women yeah like, no, when, and when, we, when, we see it later on in yeah, the, in the like, exactly. yeah we'll see it in the in the dx dudley boys match yeah. but like if somebody like like power bombed a woman or so or like if stone cold stunnered somebody like people would lose it people would go crazy like that would be the bit like like so consistently, people reacted for that in a positive way. Who, who it, was it that, that? Who was it that Bubba powered the old one? Was it May Young or May uh, Young? Yeah, yeah. He he powered bomb like a ninety-year-old woman, and people lost their minds about it. People like, still like, talk about it twenty years later. I'm still talking about it. Like yeah. it's one of the one of the ever. And that makes it like the mystery, like because I know a little bit of history, like with China, like China would like. St- did a lot of like first men matches um mm-hmm. and like yeah she's actually in the king of the ring tournament she faced the godfather in the first round before i'm assuming letting eddie win in the second round i haven't seen it but eddie moved past her to go on um that was like the one woman competitor that was always like a threat a legitimate threat to you know not just not be in a men's match but win men's matches like she went over Absolutely. did she win like the ic title yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you've never seen her match with uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett, I, was that an evening gown match? Or it was, it was some kind of gimmick. Um, it, it's a pretty interesting case study because, like, I would argue that that's kind of where we started moving towards these women who who were wrestlers primarily rather than just, like, valets or whatever they were in this time period um, because people started to be like, oh, that's not, that's not very kosher anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have just kind of moving past this one. Uh, Kurt ends up beating. You mentioned Stephanie comes in the ring, tries to do the whole distraction. We have Kurt actually taps out to the lion tamer, mm-hmm. but the referee's got his back turned, trying to see Stephanie off the apron. Uh, we get a ref bump. Jericho then forcefully kisses Stephanie. The crowd goes crazy, turns around. Kurt hits him with the Olympic slam. One, two, three. And Kurt Angle is in the semifinals of the King of the Ring. We then get, I, I thought this was kind of funny. We got a, a brief, this is just kind of like a little, like, like just time capsule of where we were back then. We have Mick Foley, who at the time was during one of his retirements, uh, getting interviewed at the WWF New York restaurant, which existed, <laughs> oh for, like a year, which existed <laughs> for like a year. And was like an like unbelievably catastrophic financial just disaster for the <laughs> WWF. You don't like in, in Times Square, where the bartender standing behind him is like way better mic'd up than he is. Like you cannot hear anything he's saying. 
<laughs> we then move on to this was a really fun, yeah. It, we then move on to this was a really fun match, four team elimination tag team match for the WWF tag team titles, featuring some great teams in this. We have Edge and Christian, we have the Hardy Boys, we have Test and Albert, TNA, TNA, and finally the World Tag Team Champions, Grandmaster Sexy and Scotty Too Hotty. Too Hotty. <laughs> Too cool. All right, RIP, first of all, to Grandmaster Sexy. RIP to Grandmaster Sexy. Wait, he's dead too? Yes. <laughs> he's dead recently. Dude, Test really? is also dead. Like, it's like I'm I mean, a big like, Test guy, by the way. Watching, watching this, Matt, it just, you know, I, it's been a while since I've seen Test. And he looks just like, I mean, like, I was watching him stand on the apron. I was like, he looks just like Big Cass. Or I guess Big Cass looks like Tess. Oh, my God. Like, I never noticed that. Yeah. It was killing me when I noticed it. Oh, I need, oh, to, go, I need to go back and look. I remember Albert, though. Albert was one guy I did remember, like, remember from this match. Um, I actually knew him more recently as, like, Tensei. Tensei. Yeah. And he's now. He yeah. actually a U-Pick grad. He graduated from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah, JR mentions it on the commentary that he played football at Pitt. All, uh, three, all three of us went to WVU. So, you know, okay. not, not super kosher for us. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Albert, good big guy. Now he's, the, he's been the head trainer at NXT for the last few years. He's retired. He had a great run in New Japan before he, was, uh, he came back to WWE as Lord Tensai. Um. We have an, so we have the elimination tag match. We have Edge and Christian coming out doing their five second pose in which they're making fun of Bill Buckner letting the I ball run it. through. His that, that was awesome. Hardys come out with Lita. Everyone is crazy for the Hardys. Everyone is crazy for Lita, especially she was so over back then. Um, Albert to this day the worst facial hair in the history of wrestling. <laughs> that just bizarre three pronged goatee that looked disgusting, and then too cool. Too Cool is not really talked about that much anymore, but Too Cool was just awesome, and everyone loved them. I like, I, yeah, no, they yeah. were so much fun. Like for the short time they were on, um, I loved it. I, I thought Grandmaster Sexay was very, like he was very good in the ring. Sky Tuhati, obviously with the worm that was over as all hell. Um, like this match, I mean TNA, I they were the team that like obviously they get thrown in, and obviously they're the first ones eliminated, but like. Edge and Christian, too cool, and the Hardys. That was such a fun like segment to have. Um, yeah, but, when, like, I, I was surprised how much like Grandmaster Saxey got like was working. Like he was working that match. But everyone, everyone loved too cool back then, and it's kind of crazy because like they were so like they were super popular. Like they always got crazy reactions for like like a short period of time, like a year or two, like ninety nine, two thousand, and they were just like such a like. They only could have existed during that specific time frame. Because, like, I try to think about, like, how to describe what Too Cool was. And it was, like, these two dudes who are, like, kind of, like, white rappers, but they don't rap. And then they have a fat Samoan guy who dances with them. <laughs> and, the crowd, and the crowd is crazy for them. Like, they're awesome and everyone loves them. Like, I don't know how you really describe what Too Cool was. One of the things I texted but... you guys about was, like, how Big E would fit in with Too Cool. Like, yeah, yeah. That would, that, would been, that would have been some prime TV. 
We've got some it's, moments with Big E and Rikishi and uh, the rest of Too Cool. Yeah, it's a shame. Like, Big E, like, obviously, you know, the New Day. I, I will go out on a limb and say the New Day is one of the greatest tag teams of all time. We love them. Oh, absolutely. Them. absolutely. They are super entertaining. But Big E came along, like, 15 years too late. He was born to be the fourth member of Too Cool. But it just, some, you know. Something I noticed about, like, between the, the New Day and, and Too Cool, both of their theme music are super simple. But people love them. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like Two Cools was just like the same kind of beat over and over again. But like, the crowd went nuts for it. And like, just like they do for the New Days, and it's really simple. Yeah. I, and, and just the thing about Too Cool, like, when I was watching the show, I was trying to kind of think about, because the crowds back then are so much hotter than they are now. Yeah. And I was trying to think about, like, what were the moments that made the crowd react the most react the biggest and there there are a few of them throughout the night but when scotty did the worm oh my god it was like seventeen thousand people there was not a single person in the entire building that was not chanting along (laughs) w-o-r-m they all went crazy for scotty doing the worm and it's awesome because like I've been watching a lot of like, like watching through a lot of like early '90s WWF, which generally sucks. But like, I love Owen and Owen, Owen Hart and Bret Hart, so some of it's cool. And it's like sometimes on these random like Raws and stuff, like you'll see this this you know kind of this this chipper young jobber by the name of Scott Taylor with a little blonde mullet. He's kind of a nice young boy, and you see this guy, and you're like, you know, he goes out, and then Yokozuna or whatever shows up and just murders him. And you're just sitting there watching this 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 nice young boy with a mullet get just massacred on TV. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, just wait in a few years. They're not going to know what hit him, buddy. They're not going to know. What- I, I'm talking like The Rock, who was on like The Rock, anybody on the show. I don't think anybody got the crowd going more in one moment on that night than when Scotty did the worm. The whole I crowd agree. was crazy. Wow. I agree. Yeah. So, this, like I said, like we said, pretty good match. This was pretty fun. Um, I love one of the things I love also. Like, this is twenty years ago. Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy, like they were super cool. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought they were super cool. Jeff Hardy still dresses the exact same way today <laughs> that he did twenty years ago. Like, what are those pants called? He's got uh, those Jinko jeans on. He's been keeping Jinko jeans <laughs> in business for twenty years. And, like, he just, in, like, 1999, he found a look that he liked, and he was like, I'm just going to commit to this for the rest of my life. And he did. The one thing I noticed, too, like, Jeff is just so smooth that, like, his aerials, like, how he can, like, controls his body. Like, there's a one, uh, I think he's, it's just a simple, uh, he's getting tossed over, I think, uh, Albert or Tess head. And he's just, the way he's contorting his body, so, like, yeah, yeah. he can land. I'm just like, he, because he, he rotates so late. I'm just like, man, it's, Jeff now it's kind of sad to watch because, like, back then he was just so nimble, agile. Like, he obviously, obviously 20 years does a number on your body, especially with yeah. his style. But Father man, Time is undefeated. It was fun to watch him just go as a young kid. Father Time is undefeated, my man. Father Time is undefeated. Absolutely. But we have Tess and Albert goes out first. It's elimination match. Matt pins Test after Jeff does a really cool swanton over Albert, who's, like, running at him into the corner. Matt pins Test. and then. Christian comes in, hits the unprettier on Matt, pins him. It's down to two cool and edge and Christian. Um, basically, Scotty disappears for like five minutes, and it's just all Grandmaster Sexy working in there. 
it, this was a lot of this this whole match really was a lot of Grandmaster Sexy and a lot of Edge mm-hmm. just doing a lot of work, working yep. really hard. And then he Scotty comes back in when Edge and Christian they're about to do a double worm on Grandmaster Sexy. Mm-hmm. He comes in, beats them up, he hits the worm. They fans go insane. And then they do a belt shot finish. Edge hits Grandmaster Sexy in the face with the title belt, pins him. Edge and Christian, new tag team champions. We then go back to the semifinals of the tournament. We have Rikishi and Val Venus. Uh, Rikishi, this was another short match. It was like three minutes and 15 seconds. We have uh, Val tries to jump off the top rope at him. Rikishi catches him with a belly to belly suplex, pins him. And then afterwards, Val just beats the hell out of him with a chair. And, and this also kind of plays into the story of what ends up happening later on in, in, in the finals because Benoit attacks Rikishi after their batch and beats him up with a chair. Mm-hmm. And then Val does it the same. The, uh, Val then beats him up with a chair. But yeah, another kind of a short little match. Also, Val goes on to challenge Rikishi for the uh, IC title and I think the next pay-per-view fully loaded or sometime in like past uh, King of the Ring um, based on what I was reading. Um, so it's interesting the two guys that they had the spots of beating up Rikishi after the match go on to get title shots. Yes, they do. And then we go on to the other semifinal, another pretty short match, Kurt beating Crash Holly in about four minutes. This was another pretty good match mm-hmm. between two guys who were good wrestlers, but again, just really short because of just you know the way they booked tournaments back then. I'll catch that. I think that the what there's an xfl reference uh during the match it's uh Jerry oh Jackson, i didn't hear like, it uh tells jr man you might be calling some uh xfl games coming up yeah <laughs> uh, i wonder oh, that, that I wonder, um I, I just i, I don't know I, I was thinking like how random it is that we get a rikishi versus val venus on a paper and obviously it's not like a you know wasn't like advertised on the pay-per-view match but like that was a pay-per-view match in 2000 rikishi yeah, and val venus and it was and like then, it was a pay-per-view match during like the hottest period in the history of right. the company. Right. And then Crash Holly and Kurt Angle wrestle like an actual wrestling match. Like on a again on a pay-per-view. I just I think that's and then the next one is another story in and of yeah. itself. But one know. other one other thing I wanted to kind of pipe in one other like little segment they put in before the next match. Trump. They showed highlights from the uh, the house show at Madison Square Garden, which I guess was the night before. Oh yeah. And they, they have a whole thing devoted to Donald Trump is in the front row and, you know, they're showing him, talking about how much he likes The Rock. And then you hear Jerry Lawler afterwards say, quote, Donald shouldn't run for president. He should run for king of New York. And I was like, was he talking about doing that in 2000? Like, is this how far back? I don't know. I was five years old. I don't remember this. But, like, was Donald Trump talking about, like, making noise about running for president back then? There, like, there, there were know. always, like, interviews of him, like, saying, like, that he could run and stuff like that, and then, like, never actually doing it. So that doesn't shock me. Yeah. It was funny to, like, just kind of see, like, especially with how today's climate is, um, and then they're referencing Trump in this pay-per-view back in 2000. just like, man, world, the time is a circle. Uh, <laughs> time is a circle. Uh, but it's just, like, that's why I, this is going to be so much fun to do, I think, just, like, seeing yeah. what is going on in pop culture back during these pay-per-views. Yeah, Cause I, mean, I can't wait till we. I can't wait till we get a white a white guy that that raps about his opponents. Man, I bet you that I bet you that gimmick's gonna go nowhere, dude. Absolute. <laughs> <trash>. <laughs> uh, 
No one's going to buy that. <laughs> but talk about stuff that nobody bought and terrible stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> this is the low point of the show. This is a match that Dave Meltzer gave minus three stars. <laughs> hardcore evening gown match for the hardcore championship between Pat Patterson and uh, Jerry Briscoe, where the two Vince Stooges end up, they, have, they dress in drag, and they have this just bad comedy match, and, you know, just they've got big stuff, fake boobs. Pat shoves a maxi pad in Jerry's mouth at one point. It's just one of the most, like... And the thing is, like, a lot of these things that, like, aren't really funny now people liked back then the crowd hated this hated it oh, no. hated it was it. awful they were booing and like it, crazy and it's crazy because like yeah like you have two guys who were like pat patterson was considered like one of the supremely great workers of his time and like same with jerry briscoe was considered to be like a great wrestler in his day and it's just like it's it's just it kind of sucks that this is how like they're remembered as like the Vince Stooges, and then they're remembered for this, which all basically seems to be. I mean, it's it's pretty much obviously a rib on the fact that Pat was gay in real life. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. absolutely what it was. So they have them just dress up in gowns and then like wear lipstick and then just humiliate themselves on TV and in front of seventeen thousand fans. The crowd hates it. It's just really uncomfortable to watch because it's like humiliating for the people involved. And it's also just bad and not funny. And right. one of the biggest pops of the night, Crash Holly runs in, murders Pat with a trash can, pins him, because the 24-7 rules, wins the title, gets out of there. Crowd goes crazy, probably partially for the fact that they liked Crash, but mostly for the fact that it was over. Quick shout out to Vito for who made wrestling in a dress not look completely stupid. Oh, it was complete. He made it look completely. <laughs> hey, it was be- Vito back then was better than whatever this was. I will give yeah. Pat. I will give Pat Bris- Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe credit though. Mm-hmm. The fact that they went full hog into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. I mean, they committed to the bit, man. I mean, as as humiliating as it was, and as just uncomfortable and stupid as it was, I give those two guys credit. They did fully commit to the bit. Yeah. Like they did what they were asked to do and they committed to it. I literally wrote Patterson versus Briscoe, zero stars, crash interferes and Prince Briscoe. Because that's how little I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And you yeah, I mean terrible. <laughs> I think the quicker we can move on from this, the better. Because Next. we then go on to just a classic like again, we're uh. talking about kind of like microcosms of just how wrestling was back then. <laughs> a three on two handicap dumpster table match between the degenera- Degeneration X team of Road Dog, X-Pac, and Tori, who was somebody I completely forgot existed. Yes. And the Dudley Boys. And this was a match, like again, like late 90s, 2000, a lot of just weird stipulations for matches all the time. More so at WCW, but still here. This where it was WCW. like, one team had a different way to win than the other team. <laughs> DX team would win by putting both of the Dudleys into a dumpster and then closing the lid. Whereas the Dudleys would only win if they put all three members of the other team through tables. So you have like 
they put Road Dog through a table at one point, and then they put X Pac through a table at another point. But the match isn't over yet because they also have to put Tori through a table, <laughs> and like the whole match is like for whatever reason I don't really remember the storyline or anything, but like they just wanted to murder Tori for some reason. Like for some reason they just hated Tori and they wanted to kill her, and the whole thing was they wanted to destroy this woman for some reason. Like they come out with a table that they've written Tori on, and they're just trying to kill her the whole time. And like the crowd loves it because it's just like you know the 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 kind of the casual violence against women. Like that's just what popped the crowd back then for whatever reason. One of the things that makes sense to me is like whenever we have these no DQ matches too, and they are requiring tags in and out. Like it makes like it. I get it's for pacing, but that just it makes no flipping sense. That's literally the first thing I wrote because they're requiring tags from the Dudleys and DX, and it's just like it's a no DQ table slash dumpster match. You really are gonna, you're gonna be strict about tags? You need to be holding the tag rope. <laughs> <laughs> I like I, I I was enjoying the match. Okay, like I was shamelessly enjoying the match. Everything was match. great. Mm-hmm. They they hit the what's up on uh on both on both guys from DX. And then they got Tori in position for it. And again, casual sexual assault on a pay-per-view event because yeah. Bubba or uh, uh, Devon head headbutt dives between her legs, and just you know for about the insinuation was there. Yeah, but this is just how it was, man. And it's also weird, like. Because they're doing the WhatsApp headbutt, but this was like before Budweiser started doing those commercials. So like they don't yeah. do the WhatsApp yet. And so yeah. it's weird to see Devon just jump, like get up on the top rope and then just jump. And then <laughs> doing the move. I also like one other note from this match. I really like I love like really bad like wrestling shirts from back then. I want the shirt that Road Dog was wearing, the Dune in the Doghouse shirt. It had like Oscar the Grouch on the back for some reason. I want I love that shirt. I love that. Oh, okay. I really want that shirt. It's awesome. But it's oh like, my gosh. I, unironically though, I kind of really, for the time, I like the finish like as a concept. So you have the first two members go out, uh, the power bomb of Road Dog through the two tables, which was great. Um, oh. And then you have the suplex on uh, X Pac through the other table. They lose the match because they're chasing Tori into the dumpster. And then they get the dumpster closed on them. Yeah, that was the whole. What? And, and then, and, and then ultimately, it doesn't matter because they get what they want at the end when they powerbomb Tori through the table. Right. Yeah, because that was the whole like story of the match was they wanted to kill Tori, and so they 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 finally power they 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 get Road Dog out, they get X Pac out, and then it's like you know they see Tori and they're like rabid dogs. They want to just chase her down and rip her apart. She goes Wasn't and hides like in her the gimmick. Dog. I was just thinking about that. Wasn't that like their gimmick that they like went after women? I, I mean, was yeah. That, was that during this time? I mean, like, well, like Bubba would just power bomb women all the time. Was it, yeah, I, I think they just had they had like a vendetta against them or something like that. Bubba's stare is something of nightmares. Where he just yeah, stares I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna mention that. So, like, yeah, I mean, like, so Tori runs into the in the dumpster to like try and get away. They follow in after her. All of a sudden, X Pac and Road Dog appear, and then they close the dumpster and they win. And then we get afterwards, you know, Dudley's lay him out. They hit the 3D a couple times, which is still just the coolest move oh, in the history. 3D was and awesome. The 3D has never not been just a cool freaking move. 
And then Bubba hits this just enormous sit-out powerbomb off the top rope through a table on Tori. And, like, it was just, that's one of my favorite things about Bubba. Like, he would hit, like, he would powerbomb the hell out of a woman. And then he would just do that blank stare. <laughs> and, the, and the camera would just zoom in on his blank stare. Like, he was just, what? like, engorged by the violence. <laughs> it's just one of the things that I like. It's so funny. One of the things that I, that I noticed about that, and I'm not to give away trade secrets because I'm not actually a wrestler or anything, but, like, when he would do those, he would, like, gently guide the women to the ground, and he would, like, take the bump on his butt through the table, which is what he did there. Mm-hmm. He dove through the table and just kind of, like, lightly guided Tori to the ground as to not, like, destroy her. Well, about that, this was interesting because I did some reading about this afterward. Tori never wrestled again after this match. She, like, severely what? injured her shoulder during this match. So she had originally started wrestling in Japan in the early 90s and had messed up her shoulder really bad and, like, stopped wrestling for, like, five years. So she didn't wrestle at all from, like, 93 to, like, 98. And then she comes back with the WWF and starts wrestling again. And then in this match, I don't know if it was on the power bomb or at some point in the match, she ended up re-injuring that same shoulder. She tore her labrum in that same shoulder she had injured before and ended up never wrestling. And this was literally her last match of her career. I think it was before. Okay, well, I take bomb. back everything I just said. <laughs> I think it was it before might the have power been, bomb because uh, I was watching for it. I think it was before the power bomb. Jerry mentioned the fact that she looked like she was favoring her shoulder before. I thought it was just a sell. Um, um, yeah. But it could have been because the ref is out checking on her at one point. I'm not sure what the spot was that had her go out out of the ring because it was the first time the DX should have won when they uh, closed them in the uh, dumpster and then they stuck out the sides. But the ref was yeah. checking on her then. I'm thinking it was whatever spot put her on the apron there. Okay. Okay. Um, that probably hurt her. But even with that, even if with that hurt shoulder or whatever, she took that bump. She took that power bump like a champ and then we never saw her again. True professional. True professional, big respect to Tori. And then we move on now to the finals of the King of the Ring, Rikishi and Kurt Angle. Rikishi coming out, selling that right arm. He's got it bandaged up because both Benoit and Val Venus have hit him with chairs and smashed, them, smashed him to pieces after their matches. Um, and it's just interesting because like, you kind of see the progression of like, when WWF started the King of the Ring, they treated it like a really big deal, and then they gradually, even though King of the Ring was still like a like a pay-per-view and an event dedicated to it, it almost kind of becomes an afterthought, and they kind of devote less and less time to it. The finals of the King of the Ring, it's about a five-minute match, and they don't show like they used to always make a big deal out of like showing the coronation. Like he would then, you know, he would climb up on the throne and get the crown. And then like, that's where we had the Austin three sixteen promo in 1996. Mm-hmm. Like they treated it like a really big deal. Kurt ends up winning the match. And then he, you know, he wins, he celebrates and then he walks back up the ramp and then they cut away from him. Yep. And that's the end of the tournament that they, they named the pay-per-view after. Like they don't really dedicate a whole lot of time to it after it happens. Now, correct me Had the wrong, previous, the previous year didn't uh, they said Mr. Ass? Won yeah, the King and that of the was Ring. that was the other thing that made me think like, oh yeah, well they really didn't care about the King of the Ring that much back then. When I heard Jr. say the term Mr. Mr. Ass, Ass, the King of the Ring last year. 
that's like, like I, I, David, you might you might know the answer to this. How often was the King of the Ring final like the pay, the main event? What do you like, was what, that what, the thing? That, like, was the 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 final? Had it been the main event of the pay per view previously? I think it was at least the first few years. Right, because like, then, yeah, that that that's the yeah. thing that like struck me was that it was the main event of this pay per view. Yeah. So, like, I'm looking it up, like, the first time right now. The first one was King of the Ring 93. And the final match, they gave Bret Hart and Bam Bam Bigelow 18 minutes as the main wow. event. And they actually had Hulk Hogan losing the WWF title to Yokozuna. So, the title match, um, the, like, fourth to last match on the card. Wow. So, they had the title match way earlier. And then had the had the finals later. So like that's that's how we like they started there and then progressed to here. Mm. But even by the next year, I'm looking at it now, King of the Ring ninety four, the second time they've had the King of the Ring, the King of the Ring final was Owen Hart versus Razor Ramon, which is like an awesome match. Ooh. Yeah. They get six and a half minutes and the main event is Jerry Lawler against Rowdy Roddy Piper. That, so that's kind of that's, that's just kind of where it went. Huh. That's just kind of where we went very quickly. So I guess really after that first year, you don't see them, like at least within that event, really treating the King of the Ring as like the thing, even though it is the name of the event. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we've got Kurt versus Rikishi. Um, Rikishi, just the pure force and power of his ass was considerable. <laughs> Almost unmatched. He's using his full aspects arsenal of attacks. That's stink face. Uh, stink and face. I think it waters it down a little bit because, like, like the win for Kurt, it gets watered down a little bit because, like, the whole story is Rikishi has been attacked and killed after both right. of his matches. Right. He's selling that right arm, he can't punch with it, and it's just like I mean, it waters it down some for Kurt. And then Rikishi ends up even weakened, even injured. Becoming possibly the first guy ever to kick out of the Olympic Slam. Yeah, he does. It might have been the first one. I don't know. Yeah, JR, was, JR was acting like it might have been the first time anyone had kicked out of the Olympic Slam. But Kurt Angle hits him with the Olympic Slam. He kicks out. And then eventually Kurt hits him with a big belly-to-belly -belly superplex, pins him in six minutes, win the King of the Ring title. Congrats to Kurt, who then from this point on really got... Started to get that big main event push. Yep. I mean, this was one of the, the times where you could probably point to, like, you always think of the King of the Ring as potentially something that you could use to, like, elevate a new star. And in practice, they didn't always do that. But I think this was one of the cases where they did that. Like, Kurt had been, like, the European champ, the Intercontinental champ, like, promising, young, up-and-comer, wins the King of the Ring, and then becomes, like, a real main eventer. Within the next year, he's the champion. Well, think about this year, too. I mean, they had Corbin versus Gable for the finals. Um, and they gave the gimmick to Corbin, who I could see why they would give it. But imagine, like, the short King things you could do with uh, King. Or, like, they've a million times used the King of the Ring to then give the King gimmick to somebody. And the King gimmick has only been done well twice. By Jerry the King Lawler, who... Did it independently of the King of the Ring. That was just who he was, Jerry the King Lawler. And then King Booker, who was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> like, they did, it with, they did it with Bad News Barrett, and it sucked. They did it with King Mabel, and it sucked. 
They did it with they did it with King Sheamus, and nobody even remembers that that ever happened. They're doing it with King Corbin, and nobody gave a crap about King Corbin in the first place. It didn't change his character any. Like he's still no. just the prude dick that is, uh, you know, he's an opportunist. He he's a coward, all that fun heel stuff. But like he didn't yeah, need just, the King gimmick to do that because he was already doing it. Yeah, he's literally just Baron Corbin, except he's got like a crown. Went from a crown, King. King. <laughs> yeah. He's literally just the same guy, like the same just insufferable heel that nobody likes and has a cool finisher. Like, that's the old, uh, he's the same guy. Like, but you don't need the king of the ring. Like, for some reason, they've decided that the king of the ring, like, if you win the king of the ring tournament, you now have to be the king. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like you win, you win the tournament. Like, okay, you won a tournament. Like, that's a thing. Like, you, it's an accomplishment that you can then use to springboard yourself or whatever. You don't have to actually, like, Okay, now you literally have to pretend to be a king. <laughs> but that's uh, what they've done. That's what they kind of turned that into. And that's why wrestling is fun. <laughs> Wrestling's great, too. I love wrestling. <laughs> awesome. And then we move on to our main events. Went over this before. Six-man tag. The Rock and the Brothers of Destruction. Kane and The Undertaker taking on the McMahon, Helmsley faction. Vince McMahon. Shane McMahon and the WWF champion Triple H. If Vince Shane and Triple H win, Triple H retains the championship. But if The Rock, Kane, or The Undertaker score the fall, they win the WWF championship. And just the first thing I notice is like just just the entrances. I mean, Triple H is coming out with that. The uh, the my time theme song, which he like only used like around that that period, but like is one of my favorite theme songs of all time. Like it's not his like famous the game one; it's the other one that was done by the guy who did the DX song, and it's awesome. <laughs> Kane comes out; the crowd is going insane for Kane. Everyone loves Kane. What Kane's I, awesome. I underappreciate Kane growing up. I never was like a big Kane guy. Um, always I was just like, oh cool, he's the uh, he's not Undertaker. Um, but like seeing him in a few pay-per-views and watching a few of like the, uh, top 10 Kane returns on WWE's YouTube channel, the guy is damn good. And I really wish I appreciated more while I was like, uh, you know, still like a diehard fan back when I was like still in middle school. Cause like he is like, whenever they gave him time to work or like be on the mic, he delivered, even though his gimmick was just like, I'm a monster and might as well be Frankenstein. Kane is awesome. Kane is one of the best big men of all time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Also, you then have Biker Taker. Yeah, you know, we have Biker Taker, but this really annoyed me because this is one of the real failings of the WWE Network. Like a lot of times when they had like licensed music that they like played live, like they then overdub it because they don't have like they don't want to pay the money to then license that again for the WWE Network. So like if you ever watch ECW matches. Like the like New Jack matches are like impossible to, to watch because like this whole thing like they would play Natural Born Killers throughout the entire match, but they can't get that license, so they just play this like terrible kind of overdub of it that's just a bad song, and like I can't like do it because it just ruins the whole vibe. And so like Undertaker like he comes out to American Badass by Limp Biscuit, which is like just a classic entrance. Like it was cool, like it worked. But then they overdub it with this just piece of crap, and it just takes you out of it completely. Like, I want to hear American Badass. Limp Biscuit, that's a very 2000 thing. 
yeah. just in general. But it's like, it's, yeah, it's another one of those things, like, when you watch it back now, you're like, that's kind of goofy. But, like, in 2000, that was cool as hell. <laughs> like, that was the coolest thing. Ever. Like, we kind of laugh at it, like, Limp Biscuit, seriously. Come on, dude. But, like, back then, you're like, that's awesome. Like, this is the coolest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Shout out to Nick Perillo on that, on that note. Shout out to Nicky <laughs> Pete. Um, and then The Rock comes out. And, I mean, like, it's The Rock. Like, the crowd is just electric for The Rock. And then we get this match, which is longest match. We get, it's about 18 minutes. It's fine. Best stuff, yeah. I think, was when you got, you know, we, we got a nice long segment of, like, Rock Triple H that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Probably the best stuff in the match. Yeah. Rock kicks out of a pedigree at one point. Um, and, like, the whole story of the match is, like, you've had the three on, you know, Rock, Undertaker, Kane. All three of them can win the title, but only one of them can win the title. So they're kind of like haltingly coexisting and, you know, working together for the first part of the match, and then they just all turn on each other, and then it becomes like a free-for-all. I thought it was fun. I thought, like, um, I know it's like a dumb thing to think of. It's the same way of uh, having a tag team titles defended in a singles match, but I thought it was fun. It added a dynamic to the match that kind of, like, built in the tension and made it feel a lot more chaotic, like anything could happen. Like, any result that happened would be instantly believable. And I think that was one of the reasons why, it goes back to one of the core reasons why WWF was so hot in the Attitude Era and kind of through this time, was you you watched the shows and you did have that feeling that anything could happen and it did feel kind of chaotic and kind of on the fly and that something crazy could happen and that's why you had to watch it. Well, that uh, the you mentioned the rock kicking out of the pedigree. That was that the one that was uh, closest to the entrance, like uh, the entrance side of the ring. Cause uh, they, I think so. Because they they mentioned that Undertaker, quote unquote, saved the match there. I think that Taker missed a spot where he's supposed to like yeah. the rock out. I did know. I did know. Improvi- rock improvises and kicks out of the pedigree. I don't think mm. that was the planned move, but like you know, like that's kind of what made that era great. Like you said, it just is, anything could happen and you sometimes have to play it by ear and they did a good job of doing that. Yeah. As I was watching the match, I I couldn't help but think I was like, okay, where else would these guys have like fit into the pay-per-view? And I was like, they don't. So I I think that this was that, that was the result. They were just like, we need to get Taker. We need to get rock. We need to get trips all on this card. How do we do that in a way that makes sense? Yeah. In a way that we're already going to, in 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 an event, we're already going to fill up a large part of it with just, we got this tournament going on. We got to fit these guys in. And then we have all these other dudes that they got to be on the card. We can't have a pay-per-view that doesn't have The Rock. We can't not have Triple right. H. We can't not have Kane, The Undertaker. And, I mean, it, this is entertaining. It, I think it worked. Oh, right? absolutely, it's not like, absolutely. It's not like it was a great match or anything, but it's, it's entertaining. Like, you love these guys. Like, these are just right. classic characters. Well, and it's and, awesome. And, giving, giving Vince credit, though, I mean, Vince, for all the bad or things that we like to blame him for, when it comes to booking himself, I think he does a really good job at doing that, like how to book himself for not just the fans' entertainment, but for what's best for the wrestlers actually in the match. Like, I, Well, you're going to get into, into one of our favorite matches of all time. Well, I mean, after this match, you see Vince goes off and like takes time off to become a genetic jackhammer as the title. Yes. <laughs> um, but like the Vince, like Vince eating the pin to cost Triple H the title. I mean, that just, it's good narrative. It builds in for, 
future rivalries or whatever. And that's the one thing that I feel like WWE's really lost from that era till now is that they don't have these long overarching rivalries anymore. They don't have things that are tying each other back. They try to do it with the Kofi Randy Orton uh, feud uh, about last year at this time, but it never really took as much as we would hope. Um, who knows? Because why. a lot of times when they do it now, it feels forced. Yes. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. do like, like the, uh, it was Batista and, uh, and Triple H. Wasn't that the match? At recently at, at Mania. Yeah. Like, at least that match, they had legitimate history that made sense. Like, you know, like going back to uh, evolution and stuff, you know, that made sense. But it's like, like a lot of these like times that they try to do, like you said, Randy Orton and Kofi, like it just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't resonate the same way that like Vince and uh, the rock and Vince and stone cold kind of resonated like constantly. Like the one yeah. that like it people love to complain about like Cena Orton, but like that rivalry was, extremely good they always had great matches mm -hmm. um and whenever they met to get like whenever they went head to head you always had this built-in disdain for one another and it made it the tension like that part of the watching wrestling you're looking for the drama it's a lot of tension you want right. that and that's what Orin Cena did, regardless of whether it was repetitive but there's a reason why that was a, a pay-per-view like four four times in a row it's because it was good shit and i Absolutely. one other thing that i completely agree with you Ange. You talk about Vince booking himself. I think one of the most effective things about Vince and as a character and as a heel at this time was, and I think this is always really important, it's one of the reasons why Vince is one of the greatest heels in history. In the end, Vince always got his comeuppance. And a great heel has to get his comeuppance in the end. That's just storytelling. He has to get his comeuppance in the end. And Vince was an incredible heel he was an incredible actor. He was just unbelievable. And he always made sure he got his comeuppance in the end. And that happens in this match. Um, we have, in, you know, this, this instance of Shane McMahon getting killed. He takes that <laughs> crazy, just awesome Undertaker choke slams him off the top rope through the announce table, which just looked awesome. Mm -hmm. And then Brock is down in the ring. Vince goes in to try and clown on him, try to hit the people's elbow and, and, and make fun of him. And Rock springs up, rock bottom, boom, pins Vince, one, two, three. And then Vince disappears off TV for the next few months. But Rock pins him with the, people's, uh, with the, with the rock bottom in the middle of the ring, one, two, three. And the Rock walks out of King of the Ring 2000 as the WWF champion. Well, here's I love watching The Rock hit moves. And I, I just any move. Like, he just has such a show about him. So, like, whenever he pops up and, like, he goes to hit the rock bottom, it's just, it's like a show in and of itself. The way he's, like, so demonstrative. I don't know. I, I've always thought that he looks awesome when he does that. That and Fine Busters. The Rock had a different, just flair and twist for every Crazy. single thing and every single movement that he made in the ring, even just down to the way he ran the ropes. Like, mm -hmm. The Rock ran the ropes differently than anybody else. It's just like, you can't just, you just can't like recreate what the, like who the rock was, because I mean, the guy had just the kind of unreal charisma that you couldn't match, but it was just like, it shone through in like every single move he made in the ring. And yep, just absolutely. Yeah. Watch. Um, here's the part where I ruined the match is because I'm pretty sure Vince wasn't legal at the time he got pinned. Like, nah, I, was, who cares? I was trying to watch the tags. Vince never got tagged in by Shane. I think Shane, either Shane or Triple H was the legal man. Vince was not. 
Same thing with when Kane tombstoned uh, Shane, or Vin, I think, yeah, he tombstoned Shane, went for the pin, the ref starts counting the pin. Kane wasn't legal. It was still The Rock at that time. The Rock was the last person <laughs> tagged in, and The Rock was in that match for the last, I think, half, like the last nine minutes. They were doing they were doing lucha rules <laughs> when they slammed Shane through the announce table. Then Vince became a legal man. That's just how it works. Don't question it. Don't question it. The Rock won. It was awesome. Crowd loved it. Fans go home happy from King of the Ring 2000, seeing the great one, The Rock, as the champ. Second time and in three months. Second time in three months. And after you mentioned this, and this leads to. Directly after this match, Vince goes off TV for a few months. Mick Foley gets introduced as the WWF commissioner, and we get the start of, of the birth of the genetic jackhammer, Vince McMahon. He goes <laughs> on a heavy cycle and comes out just looking like a human bicep, and it's awesome. <laughs> and that's prime Vince, just human bicep. Oh, man. I love Shane versus Vince matches. Uh Oh, no, the Shane versus Vince at, like, WrestleMania, what, like, 17? Does that sound right? Or X7? Yeah, WrestleMania X7? Yeah, did yeah. we just watch that, like a, like, a couple months, like, before Corona? Yeah, we did. We did. Like, the last time we hung out, we watched that. And, like, just, like, I don't know. I, 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 just, I think it works because you have these two guys who, like, are not wrestlers but are in the wrestling business and just want to just beat the absolute hell out of each other. And having Vince be that, like, just absolute jackhammer of a man at age like whatever he was, 50 or 60, I think is just incredible. It's awesome. One of my notes for this match was Shane McMahon is really in his element when he's uh, reprising his role as punching bag in the Smash Bro home run challenge. (laughs) They do the whole thing where he like like, faces off with Kane at the beginning of the match and it's just like Kane's going to let him get like a free shot at him and then Shane hits him one and then Kane just murders him. <laughs> best working punch in the business, Shane McMahon. Man, the best pure striker in WWE. <laughs> the best in the world. So, but yeah. Um, actually, I don't, David, I don't know if you were going to ask, but uh, if you if you think about it, um, or I can ask it, uh, what do you guys think just like overall of the pay-per-view? Was- I think it... Go ahead, David. I, th- I think it's just kind of it's it's really just representative of I think it's I, I think it's just a great representation of what WWF was at that yeah. period of time. You have a hot crowd, you've got some TNA, you've got the, the fans going crazy for women getting power bombed through tables, you've got a lot of casual sexism that the fans love, you've got you know, it's not you know, it'd be a couple years. It wouldn't be for like another couple of years where you would really start to see like really, really good matches, like just in the right. ring, really good matches regularly in WWF. So, like that aspect of it is a little bit, um, like I don't want to say an afterthought, but kind of an afterthought in terms of like how they were approaching the product. But a lot of characters that people loved, the crowd is hot for it, and you got a lot of McMahon family drama. And it just kind of ends up in like it's it's fun to watch and it's memorable stuff. You know, it's not like I'm gonna you know talk about any of these matches like they're some of the greatest matches you've ever seen. But it's two and a half hours that's just really entertaining, and that's just how it was. It just feels chaotic. It feels like anything can happen, and there's just a lot of 
memorable characters, and you have a crowd going crazy for the whole thing. I, 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 I think that's a pretty good summation. Yeah, I mean, for me, again, not the history buff here, but it was the fact that it was two and a half hours, it was great. I feel like that's the prime oh. timeline for a pay-per-view, um, which is why Money in the Bank, like Money in the Bank was good pay-per-view, because guess what? It was done at 9.30. We didn't have to like drag it till midnight. Um, <laughs> yeah, you what? got to go to bed at bedtime. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> because I have responsibilities. Uh, but anyway, the one thing I feel, feel like that was dra- the drag the pay-per-view down is the amount of king of the ring matches i think i would have rather the uh, semi-finals and the finals but have them be longer matches like let's say we get rikishi versus chris benoit and then like you have angle versus uh rikishi uh, not rikishi um jericho jericho just because i think the name the name draw because even back then i would say jericho is probably a little bit more you want to see him more than crash holly yeah Um, and they and they actually moved to that by the next year, King of the Ring 01. They only had the semifinals and the finals, and all those matches got a lot more time. It was actually Kurt Angle and Christian in one, and then Edge and Rhino in the other one. And you had Edge beat Kurt Angle in the finals. So by that point, they did exactly what you said. Yeah. They moved to just the final four, and we give them a little bit more time and let them have you know a little bit more of a fleshed-out match. Because that Rikishi-Benoit Rikishi match, like if I'm thinking about that thing going 15 minutes, 20 minutes, that's a hell of a match. Because you those two guys were working really well together in that short period of time. You probably could have created a whole bunch of different spots, like the one spot where you have uh, the belly-to-back suplex on Rikishi from Benoit that the crowd absolutely pops for after he couldn't get it the first time. Like You could have done a lot of fun spots with that. Um, yeah. And the only time that I remember Rikishi getting more than like ten minutes, he ended up he ended up getting thrown off of the hell in a cell into the back of a truck full of straw. Yeah. So but that was the thing. That was the thing about Rikishi. Like he was a big fat guy by this point. Like it's it's interesting to watch him. Like because again, I've mentioned I've been watching through some like early '90s stuff, and by the time I'm up, I'm up to like mid '94. And Rikishi. As Fatu, he's one of the head shrinkers and they're the yeah. champions. And like he is so like he obviously like he gained a lot of weight in the intervening time. Like he was like a relatively like I mean, just kind of genetics. Like you very rarely have ever seen a Samoan with a six pack. They just kinda like I mean, just kind of like naturally are built a little thicker. But like Fatu is like very mobile, like does moves off the top rope, really agile. And can like you know like really work and like by this point like obviously he's gained a lot of weight by the time that he's you know by time two thousand but like he's still agile like really right. agile for a guy his size and can still like I remember he did a like a really good Samoan drop in the first match he had that just looked great and I was like this guy can still really move and still just hit moves and just like you know look look crisp you know so yeah I'm, I'm yeah. Maybe could have seen him do a little bit more with Kurt. But that's just the way they set it up. They had so many people in the tournament. It was a 32-man tournament. And then they loaded up all the matches, you know, the final eight. And once you do that, and you got all these other car, uh, matches on the card, something's got to get cut into, and they're going to cut into these these King of the Ring matches. That's just right. the way it's but, but the other thing, like too, is just it's fun seeing what those guys, what the guys I know today or back when I was a kid, um, what they were back then. Um, like Jericho, like Jericho's gimmick has evolved so much over the years and his look has changed so much over the years. Whereas like angle has kind of stayed pretty consistent minus the hair. 
Um, yeah. Edge and Christian kind of still having that same kind of goofiness uh, and recognize like that's what made some of the great ones great. Like, for example, Edge. Edge back then, he had some comedy shticks in this tag team. But then once he goes mm-hmm. to a single wrestler, like he's the ultimate opportunist. He's like the perfect heel. He's conniving. He's a coward. He picks his spots. Now, today's iteration of Edge, where he's just this gritty, like veteran. That's what makes the great ones great. They can do a whole bunch of different roles, and you feel like they're just they're owning it. It's who they are. Yeah, yeah and you Edge mentioned Jericho. also had sex live on TV. He did. He did. And you mentioned Jericho. Like you know, Jericho's the king of that. Jericho is yeah, the king of reinventing himself. We're, we're recording this on Tuesday night. I'm going to watch him murder Pineapple Pete tomorrow night. And it's just <laughs> completely, it's a completely different guy, but he has been so fantastic in so many different roles and, you know, put so many guys over. And he's the GOAT, in my opinion. He's the GOAT. Mm-hmm. All I'm right. with you. So, so any, any, any kind of final thoughts on King of the Ring 2000? Well, do we want to do um, our uh, two marks, one mark, half mark uh, for the card, each of us? Sure, yeah. So we're yeah, gonna go do- ahead. You, right. And you go ahead so I can see how you're doing it. All right, so I'm going to go ahead, give my two marks to, man, this is a tough one. There's a lot of good spots. It's probably going to be Kurt Angle. I mean, he's just so smooth in the ring. He's the guy that probably has the most time on the card. He's You see him cutting some promos in the back. You see him watching the WWF Championship match in the back, drinking his milk. Um, <laughs> he's smooth. He's cutting good promos. Uh and ultimately, he's the king of the ring for this one. I'm going to give my one, my one mark to Crash Holly, who is also featured heavily on this card. I was very impressed with him. I love the gimmick. I think that the crowd was reacting really well to him. Um, and also, he ended the horrible hardcore evening gown match, so you got to give him props there. <laughs> and then I'm probably going to go ahead and give the half star, I mean, to The Rock. I mean, that, that match was good. To not recognize him in this match um, or this pay-per-view it would be shameful, I think, for me as someone that doesn't know a lot of the more his- historical facts. So I'm going to go ahead and go with The Rock. So that gives me angle, two marks, one mark for a crash, and then the half mark for The Rock. Okay. So if that's the method we're, we're going with, here's what mine looks like. Uh, I'm going to give my two marks to Rikishi. Um, mostly because it's it's got to be tough to wrestle that many matches in a night. And I know that they both, like the first one ended quickly. Um, or actually, both of his first two ended quickly. But, you know, you go out and work a certain style of match with Benoit. You come back in. You go out and work another certain style of match with Valvina. Come back to work another style of match with Angle. And I, I think that takes a lot of a lot of wrestling fortitude to be able to do that. So I'm going to recognize him with that one. And uh, the one mark, I mean, it's The Rock. The Rock is just so cool. And, like, it's like David said. Like, he just has a flair for everything. Whenever you get the crowd, you know, you can't find anybody else that has had more than like one or two catchphrases that the crowd love. The Rock has like 17 that the crowd just goes crazy for. Um, and then my half is actually, I'm giving it to Eddie Guerrero because, uh, I don't know, man. I, as I was watching Eddie, I know it wasn't a super long match, but he could just sell and was just over. Like, just Eddie Guerrero. And I know that he was like playing the character, but I think that was like Eddie, like just Eddie Guerrero and the whole like Mama Cita thing. People had their Mama Cita signs and stuff. I mean, you know, it, I just, I think he exuded that onto China as well. So that's yeah. my half mark. I got Rikishi Rock and Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. For me, you kind of, kind of just rearrange it a little bit. I have my two marks, The Rock. I mean, he is just the consummate main eventer. He talked about just the charisma 
and just the way you know the, the electricity just picked up and went crazy whenever he walked out there. For me, the the one mark I'm going to give it to Scotty Too Hotty just because I think he had just the single like the one single moment I think about is just him hitting the worm. Like I just can't like I keep coming back to when I think about like just the cool stuff that happened in the show, like how he got. 17,600 people all in unison to focus in on this one thing and go crazy for this one thing. It's like, just, it's amazing. Like, it's un- like, how, how many guys can say that they were able to do that at any point in their careers, whether they were a main eventer or whether they were a bottom of the card guy? Like, Scotty Tuhati was able to just completely energize a crowd like that. And very few people, whatever it was, it was a, it was a gimmick, it was a little dumb move, whatever. But the fans were crazy for it, and they loved it. And then I'm going to give my half mark, yeah, uh, to to Eddie. I mean, Eddie, I think he was just the standout worker of the show. He was awesome. I mean, he, I think he was just the best pure wrestler on the show. I thought his performance, again, he was only in that one match, but he looked awesome. He was great in that one match. Yep. And it just reminds you how great of a wrestler he was, just pure in the ring. He could go with literally anybody ever. So I'm giving it to Rock, Scotty, and Eddie. And so, yeah, so that'll wrap things up for the first episode of the uh, the Two and a Half Marks podcast. Guys, any any kind of thoughts moving forward? Um, I was actually going to say, do you could you like do the randomizer now so we can see what we're talking about next? Yeah, let me pull that up. Like, I, I feel like that's a good way to like close out the show. But overall, I mean, this was oh. exactly what I was hoping for. I think this is uh, Ooh, that was a good sound. we all had an idea for. I think so that's I, exactly it. I have Absolutely. spun the wheel and Uh-oh. it has landed on, we're going to go back in time to WCW Fall Brawl 1994. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be our Fall next episode Brawl. of the Two and a Half Marks podcast featuring a real, honest to God, OG War Games match. Oh, wait, hold on. Give me the main event for that. Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, and the Nasty Boys against the Stud oh. Stable. Terry Funk, Arn Anderson, Bunkhouse Buck, and Colonel Robert Parker in the main event in a War Games match. There's going to be a lot of violence in that match, and I am for it. So that's what you have to look forward to next time on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I think we're going to probably we'll try and shoot to do this maybe like one every week or so, kind of permitting. Every week or two. Um, up, until, up until I'm back to work, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, 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 yeah same. Well, actually, no, if we're doing it this late, I could obviously easily do it. Um, just depends on what my schedule is for work um, since I'm working later hours yeah. now. And obviously, you know, we're again, we're doing this in Corona times, so things are going to probably change. But I enjoy doing this, and you know, even if nobody else, nobody else cares to listen to, to this podcast, we just like watching wrestling and we like talking about it. So we're going to just kind of do this because we enjoy it, and it's it's fun to kind of relive some of these shows and, and watch back maybe some stuff that you've never seen before. Absolutely. So again. Thank you guys for uh, listening in for the first episode of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. For Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long, I'm David Stabman. Again, thanks for listening.
We good? 